uh, a good trip. Hopefully uh, a few of you get to go on that, or more than a few. It'd be awesome to, to see uh, Overlake just take a big crew over to Greece. So good morning. It, uh, it's fun to look out here. You can see who tans and who burns. That's for sure. You're all looking good. I'm Pat. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And we get to finish together this third and this final week of the Kingdom of God series. So I'm pretty pumped. I'm pretty stoked. And really the, the goal of this entire series, I'm just going to let the, the cat out of the bag. Here's our goal, is to really change the lens, change your perspective of how you view life now. And, and in some ways it'll kind of mess you up. That's kind of our goal, is to, is to kind of, almost like taking binoculars and flipping them around to where you just see so much more. And it's not as focused in on just one little thing, but you get to see the entire landscape of what's going on. And in fact, let's start with this, uh, this little survey right here. Raise your hand if you wear any type of like corrective eyewear, like contacts, glasses, bifocals, trifocals, bless you heart, trifocal people. Yeah, that's like half of us. I don't know if you saw or not, a lot of hands went up, maybe over half. We got a lot of blind people in Overlake. That's good. That's good. Uh, I was in third grade when I found out that I couldn't see well. And it, it came kind of in class, Mr. Olson's class, McDonald Elementary, Spokane, Washington. Anybody? It, fellow Mustangs? Oh, two. Oh, really? You went to McDonald? Oh, just excited for, oh, okay. Well, we'll figure that out later. I was like, no way, first service, they're like, what? Um, but, but it was in third grade, and I'm sitting like, not even in the back of the class, just, just the middle, and I can't see what the teacher's writing on the whiteboard. It just looks like he's waving his hand to me. But he's writing the words we're supposed to be able to spell and the math we're supposed to be able to understand. And I'm clueless. I'm getting lost. So my grades start to fall a little bit. And then it was in one of those days where they take the entire class to the school nurse. And you get to, well, for me, it was an embarrassing moment. But you get to take the eye test and try to read the lines of the letters. And they start low. And for me, they just kept kind of going one line up. And the letters got bigger and bigger. And, and I still got the top letter wrong. It was like an E, and I said M. I, it was bad. And so my mom gets me to the eye doctor. And those of you that put your hands up, I can sympathize with you. I realize that we are all, we've all been tortured at the hands of an optometrist. And it looks like not a big deal until they start bringing you back to their evil machines. And the first is this. They bring you and they sit you down at this nice, humble-looking machine. It has a little chin rest for you and a little, a little headband to kind of lean your forehead against. And they say, just, you know, put your chin in, just lean forward, and just look at that little picture in there. And, and it's like a red-hot air balloon. And, and then, boom, they nail you with a blast of air in your eyeball. And then they have the nerve to say, okay, next eye right? Do it again, and you're just wigging out, can't put your chin down, can't put your head forward, your eyes are closed, they're yelling at you, open your eyes, lean forward, chin down, and then they hit you again. Then they take you to the back room where it doesn't get any better. I'm in third grade, I'm scared of the dark. They turn out the lights. After putting like vampire drops in my eyes, so now I have to live in the dark for like a whole day. So they do that, then they sit you in this freaky chair with this contraption that goes in front of your face, and it's got all these lenses, and they just start messing with your brain. They just start flipping lenses on you, one or two, one or two, you know, two or three, two or three. And it's like you're being interrogated. And, and some of them look the same, so you don't know. Like, are you just messing with me? Is this just a cruel way to mess with a third grader? And, and you're just changing them all. 
And then you finally get out, you get your prescription, and you get your glasses. And this, this is what I looked like in third grade. Uh, yep, that's little me. I, I picked the biggest glasses I could find. My mom took me to Costco. I'm like, give me the big ones. I'll take the big ones any day, Mom. Uh, but the reality is this. The reality is this. Once I got glasses, it changed so much for me. It changed so much for me. I could sit in class and, and just lean back. I didn't have to squint anymore. I, I didn't need to squint at all. I had big old glasses. I, I could read what was on the, on the board finally. I knew how to spell the words. I understood the math. I, I remember being in the car with my parents and driving down Sprague, and I could see what the different billboards were advertising for the first time. I, I could see what my friends looked like for the first time. I knew what I looked like for the first time. It was revolutionary. It totally changed my perspective. And, and that's the first fill-in on your notes today. So if you'd like, it's inside of your handouts that you received there. You can take those out, take notes with, with us if you'd like. And, and the first fill-in is this, that your lens changes your life. How you see things will impact how you live. Three different lenses that I've lived with in life at different stages or another. Uh, one would be a spirit kind of of competitiveness, uh, a lens of winning, where everything's about being the best. It's, it's about being better than everyone else in school and in sports and in, in the sp social world, you know, who has more friends. Uh, it's all about winning. And, and I've had that, I've adopted that lens in seasons of life. Uh, another one would be the lens of happiness. It's just all about, hey, I'm just going to look at things, and whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good, that's what I'll participate in. And if it infringes on that at all, then I'll just avoid it. But it's all about happiness. That's kind of the driving perspective. And, and then a, another lens. It would be the lens of just more. Uh, kind of a con consumeristic type mindset. Like, man, how much more can I own? How many more people could I meet? How many more experiences can I have or places that I can go or, or more food or more golf or whatever it is? But it's just been this idea of, of more and more. And that's been a driving lens in my life at times. And, and what Jesus was about was really coming against this. In his teaching and in his life, he really was challenging people's perspective. He was messing with people quite a bit as he's drawing crowds and people are, are sitting, coming around him, and, and he would speak, and it would just really kind of mess with people's earthly lens that they're looking with. And he's trying to replace it with a kingdom lens. And that's the goal of these three weeks together. And, and this being the final week, we want to leave and send you out with a lot of clarity on what the kingdom of God is and, and really challenge everyone in here to live differently because your lens changes your life. And so there's two things to quickly review from the previous weeks in case this is your first week with us. Uh, maybe ever, welcome. Or maybe you just, you've been on vacation. Or the last few Sundays you didn't wake up in time. I don't know. But uh, a, a quick review would be these two things that Pastor Mike presented. And the first is this, is the definition of what the kingdom of God is. We, we got to be able to stack hands on what this, what this is. And it's on your notes, but it says the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king. Wherever Jesus is king. And if, if you kind of need something to make that tangible or kind of unpack that a little bit, think about LeBron James. I know, I worked him into a sermon. Not, not sure how that happened. Um, I, I was bummed the Spurs lost. Anyways, I can get over it. Uh, LeBron James, his nickname, the, the nickname that he's been coined with is King James. 
in a world that we don't really talk about kings and kingdoms anymore, he's been coined the term King James because his little kingdom is the basketball court. That's where he rules. That's where he reigns. That's where he's the biggest. He's the best. That's where he can dunk on others. He can swat the ball out. That's where his authority is expressed, is on the basketball court. That's his little kingdom. What we're saying is anywhere Jesus is king, that's his kingdom. It could be over your life. It could be over your marriage, your home. Uh, uh, it could be the entire east side. It could be wherever Jesus is king, wherever his authority is expressed, wherever, where, wherever he is establishing his will, that's the kingdom of God. And the second statement, the, the second kind of point to review before moving on together is this one. And this is super confusing. So we're going to sit on this a little bit today. We're going to unpack it. But it's the reality that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. I know, that's, that's like, what? Right? It's here, but it's coming. It's present and it's future tense. Like, how does that, how does that work? How does that jive? And, and we're lucky because Jesus spoke on that. He, he helps us understand. That was what he was good at, was teaching and, and helping people understand difficult things. And so we can, we can look at his parables. We can look at his stories that he told. And, and that's what we did these last two weeks was looking at, at, at earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Uh, talking about a treasure hidden in a field. That was two weeks ago. Last week, talking about how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And, and, and he does that time and again, trying to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. And, and he uses, he pulls out all the stops because he even uses visual aids. He even is like trying to show people. It's kind of like this. There was an actually a moment in his ministry where he's sitting down. And I can picture this. He's sitting down, and he always draws a crowd. People just start showing up. Jesus is talking. He's doing stuff. People are there. And, and so parents start to bring their kids because they want them to sit on his lap. It's like this is, this is before Santa. Maybe this is where we got the tradition. I don't know. <laughs> but kids are getting set on Jesus' lap so he can bless them, place his hands on them, bless them. And, and I can just see him just interacting, engaging with them. You know, like they're probably pulling on his beard, poking his eye, putting their hands in his mouth, uh, just having a great time. And the disciples, I love these guys. I love them because I can identify with them. I would have done the same thing probably in, in that moment. They're like, oh, this is a distraction. This is not good. You know, we got to shoo them out of here. So they're just booting kids. It's like, boom, gone. Get out of here. It says they yeah, were rebuking them. You know, go wash your hands first or get, get to the back of the line. You know, they're just, they're getting them out. They're moving them out. And Jesus says, time out, boys. Time out. The kingdom of God belongs to those such as these belongs to the, these kids that I've been playing with today. He used visual illustrations, using whatever he could to help people understand what his kingdom is like. And there was a picture that I saw about a year ago, a graphic uh, essentially, that I saw about a year ago as I was taking a class on the kingdom of God. And this helped me understand that confusing statement of, of the kingdom of God is now and not yet. So it's included on your notes. It'll be on the screen. And, and here's what this picture is showing. And, I, and again, the goal is to leave with clarity. And, and most of us are visual learners. 60% of us, statistics would say. So this will land well. The, the lower line is this present age. It's what we know. It's, it's, a, it's a day and age where evil is, is lurking. It's on the move. Uh, evil rules in a lot of lives, in a lot of cities, in a lot of ways. Uh, there's uh, horrific crimes that are committed. All types of things are happening in this present age that are not part of the kingdom of God. And then about halfway down that line, you see a dotted arrow coming down and, and intersecting. 
And that's, that showcases Jesus' first coming, his first arrival. What, when you're reading the Bible and, and you're reading stories of Jesus, that's what this arrow is pointing. When he first came to earth, he initiated something. He initiated his kingdom. He brought it with him. And what's interesting is he didn't bring it in its fullness yet. He just started things. And that's why there's these two lines that are parallel for a while. You have the solid line on the bottom and a dashed line at the top. Because you have two different realities in play at the same time. You have this present age and you have the age to come. You have the kingdom of God. Until the second arrow. And this is what we're going to look at today. This is when Jesus comes again. And make no mistake, he is coming back. There will be a second return of Jesus here on earth. And that's when this present age ends. And this age to come, the kingdom of God, will be the only reality in play. And so we can look at the things Jesus said. We can listen and, and kind of read his stories and unpack those. But we have another tool to look at. And it's just as equally as important. Is we can look at his actions. We can investigate what did he do? And, and how does that showcase? How does that help us learn what the kingdom of God is like? So that's what we're going to tear into this morning. Is a story out of Mark chapter 4. You can follow along with me. Mark chapter 4 verse 35. And it's, it's a famous story. Even if this is your first time in church. This may be a story that you've heard before. It's, a, it's fairly famous. And it goes, here's... Here's the account of something that actually happened. It says this in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is, this is Jesus, let us go across to the other side. So it had been a long day of teaching. And, and if you read all of chapter 4, he's speaking and teaching on none other than the kingdom of God. There's the passage of the mustard seed in that segment. And he's just teaching all day. And, it, and it's tiring. Teaching gets tiring. And he's teaching all day, using analogies and stories and visual illustrations. And at day's end, when it hits evening, he says, guys, let's get in a boat and, and let's get away. Let's, let's go to the other side of this lake. And so they do. And leaving the crowd, verse 36, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat. These are his disciples, his, his followers, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Let me, let me explain this part. When you're in a boat, the goal is to be on top of the water. When it starts filling with water, that's not a good thing. This isn't good. The windstorm is creating these waves that are crashing over the sides. Their boat could have been kind of making creaking and cracking. It looks like they're going to go down. And here's, here's where Jesus is. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's tired. This man is spent. He's been working the crowd all day long, maybe, maybe days on end. And they woke him and said to him, I can totally see this, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples, I can see them with their buckets, you know, like frantic. Like, you know, there's 12 of us and there's an extra bucket. Who's not helping? Jesus, our teacher. He's in the stern. He's, he's sleeping. What is he doing, you know? He's not even praying. He's asleep. You know, and they're, and they're like, Jesus, wake up. Grab a bucket. Let's go. We're, we're perishing. We're not perishing. We're perishing. 
I can't say that word. It means they're dying. We're going to die. Dude, we are going down. And, and uh, can't you tell? The cushion's a little wet. Like, you know, like, you are going down. We're all going to die. And, and they accuse him of not caring. They don't know who he is. They call him teacher. They have God in their boat. Jesus was fully man and fully God. There's another big one to try to get your minds around. They have God in their boat. They just think he's a great teacher at this point. And they accuse him of not caring that they're going to die. And yet the very reason he's on earth to begin with is because everyone's dying. And he cares the most. He's on a rescue mission. And his disciples have the nerve to say, dude, don't you care? I would have said that. I'll be honest. I'm, I'm like them. Cut from the same cloth. Verse 39. And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. If you've ever driven on 520 towards Seattle and you're on the bridge and you look off to your left, that water is always choppy. It doesn't matter if there's no wind. I feel like it's just always like rocking over there. And if it's super windy, it'll actually crash over onto the roadway. It gets a little, it gets a little dicey there sometimes on that eastbound head of traffic. And yet, if you look on the right-hand side, on the north side of the lake, it's like glass. It's like such a contrast. That's what happened. An entire lake that they're sailing across goes from a state of complete chaos to where it's breaking the boat, water's filling it, to complete stillness, to a calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's a question everyone has to answer at some point. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who is this storm calmer? Who is this man that does miracles? Everyone's got to answer that. And that's exactly where they're at in this moment is left wondering, Man, this man just took control of a total like a weather storm. Who is this guy? And so we're going to look at that story, and we're going to draw some parallels. We're going to pull some stuff from it that shows us how the kingdom of God is not yet. We can actually find some things that show us how Jesus is returning from this passage. And so we're going to dive in there together. And there's three big questions that we're going to kind of uh, bring some answers to. And the first is this. How do we know Jesus will return? How do we know Jesus is going to return? And that the fill-in, the answer on that, if, if you're taking notes, is because he keeps his word. This is a man who keeps his word. Uh, looking just at the story, in verse 35, Jesus is the one that says, hey, let us go across to the other side. And in Mark 5, 1, in the verse directly after the account that we just read, it says this, they came to the other side of the sea. When Jesus says, hey, we're going to go across this lake. You're going to get across the lake. No storm is going to stop you. If, if Jesus says, hey, you know what? You're healed of your blindness, then you can see. You don't have to go to the optometrist. You get a forego, all the torture, all the treatment, all the all vampire drops, the whole bit. If Jesus says, you're, you're, you're healed of your deafness, then you can hear. You don't have to get hearing aids. If Jesus says, you're, you're healed of your illness, then you don't have to go to the Costco pharmacy to pick up your meds. 
Jesus is a man of his word. If he says, I love you, he means it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. He means it. He's a man of his word. And if he says, I am coming again, then he's coming again. And we see this in Revelation chapter 22. Last, last chapter in the Bible. It's like the easiest one to find. Just find the colored pages, all the maps. Just like right before that. And there's three passages in Revelation chapter 22 that are written in red. It's Jesus talking. And there's, in those passages, there's four words that are common to all three of those statements that, that, that Jesus is making. And the four words are this. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I like the NIV. It adds an exclamation mark. Bam! You know, my wife loves exclamation marks. Anyways. Stearns, he knows. Jesus' track record is impeccable. If, if, if there's, there's doubt at all that this is a man you can trust, I just ask you, I challenge you, just study him. Look at the, the accounts of his life because you will find uh, an impeccable track record. He's flawless. When he says something, it happens. This is a man who called his own debt and called the fact that in three days he's going to rise again. That's pretty good. We, we kind of are at a disadvantage in our day and age, just the way things are at. It's really hard to take people for their word anymore. The, the, the times of old, the, the, the deals that were struck with a handshake and just kind of, you know, hey, I'm giving you my word. Uh, you know, we're selling this whole business. Done, you know. The, now, now we're in a totally different kind of environment. You got to read the fine print. You better have a lawyer, you know. Like, it's so different and, and, and it puts us at a disadvantage because we're so numb by the fact that people, they just, there are a lot of talk and there's, there's no walk. There's no follow through. Or, or we're just numb to the fact. People just make empty promises. I mean, how, how common are these? I've said these. I'm, I'm guilty of all these, actually. Uh, and I think many of us are. I mean, how many times have we heard this? Hey, we're going to have you over for dinner sometime. Right? Man, every Sunday, I'm pretty sure that gets said in the hallway a lot. You know, like, oh, dude, we should do dinner. Yeah, get, get the families together. Six years later, you know. <laughs> or this one. Oh, baby, it's just a busy season at work right now. It's just a, it's just a busy season. When it's done, we'll, 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 you know, just we'll leave the kids, and we're going to go to Maui. We're going to have a vacation. We're going to get away. Oh, honey, it's been 20 years of a long season. You know, that's not a season if it's been 20 years. We just will say things, and there's not a lot of follow-through. Or this one about moving. You tell someone, yeah, I'll help you move. And, and then all these type of different excuses start to come up of different things. Of, hey, I got to do the laundry. You know, I got uh, to, you know, my back is sore. It seems like everyone's back is sore when you need them to help you move. It's like the one law that you can count on. But the reality is, when Jesus says he's coming back, he means it because he is a man of his word. He is a man of his word. And, and it really, it leads us to this next question. Because if he's coming back, the next thing you want to know is when. When's this dude coming back? I want to know, you know. Well, give me the day. Give me the time. I got to put it in my, you know, my outlook, you know. Uh, is there an app for that? Like, whatever. Here's what we don't know. We don't know the day and the time and the hour. Nobody does. If anybody tries to guess what day it is, there's some dude that did that last year. 
you're an idiot. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> Saying how it is. We're honest here at Overlake. Uh, even the pastors. Uh, but here's what we do know. We know what will happen before Jesus returns. We can answer that question for sure. And the answer to that is all will hear the good news. All are going to hear the good news. This is crazy. In this story, let's read verse 36 again, going back to the, this, the calming of a storm. It says this, And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Okay, we knew that. Jesus in the boat. This next verse, though, or this next sentence, these next six words, I don't know why. I have never noticed it. I've heard or read this story maybe like 30 times and, and just almost skimmed over it. But it says, And other boats were with him. The crowds are on the move. When Jesus moves, they're following. And in my mind, I just always had this picture. For 30 times, every time I've read this or heard this, I just picture one boat on the water getting tossed around and just, you know, filling up and going wild and then the storm calming. And it's like they're the only ones that knew about it. It's like they were the only ones affected. And the reality is every man, woman, and child, every boat on the water that day experienced a miracle experience salvation, experience some type of uh, level of freedom and liberty that you can only know if you saw death in the eyes. Other boats were there. And the reality is this good news of the kingdom, it's not just for those that are in the boat with Jesus. It's not just for those that already know the storm calmer. It's for everyone on the lake. It's for everyone that's in this messy middle where there's two different kingdoms at war. It's for those that haven't heard yet. These are Jesus' words. Matthew 24, verse 14. Jesus says this. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world. Everywhere. The whole world. So that all nations, and, and really the heart, the, the, really the root of that word is people groups. He's not just talking about clean-cut borders of, of countries. He's talking people groups, and there's 16,000 of them in the world. So that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. He's saying, if you want to know what will happen before I return, it's going to be that the good news is heard by all, that every people group has been reached. And, and, and we can look to kind of see the progress that's been made before this task is finished, and there's about 40% of people that have not heard yet, that they don't know. They don't know this storm calmer. They don't know that when the storm has been calmed, who did it? And yet they've been impacted by a life of a guy 2,000 years ago they just don't know about. A man that lived and died and resurrected. He's alive again. He's alive right now. They haven't heard. And, and, and the church is responding. People are responding to this. They see that passage and they say, you know what? Let's go. Let's go to those that haven't heard. And one of my favorite movements taking place right now is actually in China, because it's not just a movement that's staying in China. The vision of the underground church in China, or one of them, is to take the gospel back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. It's called the Back to Jerusalem movement. And so they're actually going on foot, the good old-fashioned way, and they're walking through these different villages and these towns and these cities, and they're just sharing the good news about Jesus, about his kingdom. And they're seeing entire, entire households come to know who Jesus is and trusting their lives with him. And, 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 and they're just moving through toward Jerusalem, the heart of where most people are unreached. 
It's incredible. We, the, the churches in South America are actually sending people over into the Middle East. And they're winning entire households over. Just, I mean, you take two cultures that are very similar in the sense of hospitality and how you treat one another, and it's amazing how the gospel will spread. And you look at where we're at today. You look at, at cities. You look at big urban areas. Seattle especially, where we live, where we call home. Jesus has brought, and the Lord has brought in his providence, the nations here. There's, there's multiple nationalities represented in just right here in this room. Overlake is a colorful group of people that are super fun and, and have a variety of backgrounds. And the reality is you're living next to people that you don't know where their family is from. And so Pastor Mike, one of his challenges last week was, hey, just get on foot and walk through your neighborhoods. Just meet some neighbors. See if there's maybe some serendipitous moments of, of running into people that are out for a walk too or out in their front yard. But we don't even realize that when we reach the east side, the impact that that'll have worldwide. And that's our heart here. But that's what we know will happen before Jesus returns, that all will hear the good news. And now it leads us to the final question to answer. Once he comes back, it's going to happen. We know that. He keeps his word. We know what happens first now. All will need to hear the good news. But we want to know what's going to happen when he returns. How's this thing play out? What's the finish? What's this like? And the fill in there, the two words, if you want to fill in those blanks, is he will make all things new. He's going to make all things new. You look at what happened in, in that story on the lake there when things were a little crazy, when it looked like they were going down, when it looked like a lot of boats were going to go down. And Jesus intervened in that moment. He brought peace. He brought a, a quietness, a calmness. He brought freedom. He, 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 he brought life. And it was just complete stillness. When he intervened in the chaos, it totally changed things. And here's a passage, again from Revelation, chapter 21, that speaks to this reality that he's going to make all things new. Ultimately, in the end, Jesus will make all things new. And here's how we know. In Revelation 21, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. That's the NLT likes exclamation marks too. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That sounds a lot like the opening chapters of Genesis to me. The way it was meant to be. God with his people. In relationship with his people. Living with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Man, I long for that moment. Man, I know so many that, that, are, that have chronic pain that know uh, of someone that they've lost, that, that, that are uh, living in just a state of, of really just mourning right now. And all that's going to be wiped away. Those tears of pain will be wiped away. And all, things, all these things are gone forever. Verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, check this out, look, I'm making everything new. Another exclamation mark. Boom. He means it. He's making everything new. Uh, next week, or this Saturday actually, so in six days, I'm going to get on my bike, get my little road bike with five other overlakers, and we're going to trek down to Portland, 
We're doing this STP, the Seattle to Portland bike ride, in a day, we think. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, next Sunday, I'm going to be a sore man. I'll be, walk, I'll be moving a little slow down in Portland. <laughs> but, uh, but here's the deal. My bike, a couple weeks ago, it was riding just really rough, making noises, just didn't feel right. I'm trying to shift gears, and it kind of would then jump everything, and so it would go from an easy gear to hard gear. You know, it's just the, the bike was kind of a little messed up. So take it into a bike shop here in Redmond, and they take care of me. And they say, all right, we're going to tune this thing up, and we'll give it back to you in a day. And they did. And, and they changed the rear cassette. They had to change the tire, new cables, bearings, the whole thing. And when I got it back, my next ride out, I go out for a ride. I caught myself saying out loud, or maybe I was thinking, it felt like I was saying it out loud, but I just kept thinking, man, it hasn't felt like this since it was new. It's eight years old, has thousands of miles on it, and yet this thing hasn't felt like this since it was new. I had to entrust it to someone who understood how a bicycle operates from the inside out. This dude from the East Coast, he was like talking to me about bikes and stuff, and I'm just like, it's like one of those man moments, like, oh yeah, oh, oh, yeah, the hoods, yeah, I gotta fix that, oh, cables, <laughs> you know. This dude, this dude could tear a bike apart and put it back together with his eyes closed. He's a master of bikes. He understands them inside and out. Who better to entrust the creation of a new world, new heaven, new earth, making all things new, than the master of creation anyways? Than the one who understands how everything operates from the inside out? Who can do it with his eyes closed? Who could do it with no hands? Ah, you know, that's good. That's good. That just came to me. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Here's, here's kind of where, where we leave together. Here's kind of where we take the off-ramp and as, as we kind of leave this place as, uh, you know, from a body packed into one building, into many homes, into many communities. Here's what, I just call it the so what. It's kind of where the rubber meets the road. It's the last fill-in. It's where, it's where we get to personally take action. And this is it. This is the fill-in. Two words. It says, check your lens and calm some storms. Check your lens and calm some storms. You, you may need to trade a lens of winning, competition, happiness, more, with, with a kingdom-sized lens. With a, with a lens that you only get when you look at the words and the life of Jesus Christ. And you say, hey... Man, I want to I be like you, Jesus. Help me to be like you, Jesus. Help me to see things how you see things, Jesus. And not only that, but after we check our lens, it's time to calm some storms. That same authority that, that Jesus uh, 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 expressed in that moment in calming the storm is the same authority that's given to each of us. The kingdom of God is within us. Pastor Mike hit that in, in week one. The kingdom of God is within us. And, and so we got to go out, we got to calm some storms. Now, when I think of storms, I, I think of like the evidence of storms, kind of the aftermath, what, what storms leave after they've passed. Uh, you, can, you can go still see what Hurricane Sandy's done, or Katrina, years, years back, and Katrina still has left uh, uh, just a, 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 a whole area destroyed. And you, and you can tell because homes are destroyed or flooded or damaged or power's out or there's sand, you know, that's been moved into homes or mud or, or whatever it is. Storms have evidence. 
And in this passage of Revelation, it, it really shows us the evidence of storms in humanity. In, in the storms that, that we experience, that our neighbors experience, that our co-workers experience. And they're this, they're death, mourning, crying, pain. That's the aftermath. That's the wake of what storms leave. And you know what? We're called to, to, to come against those things, to think differently about it, to not just be okay with that. When, when I was a kid, I remember hearing sermons on like heaven. And it was like, uh, it was kind of like an escape clause almost. It was like you kind of hoped to die so you could just get to heaven and leave all the dirty work for later. You know, it's kind of like skate out scotch-free. And, and yet there's such a different reality. There's so much missing in that. The reality is we've been called to bring the, the kingdom of heaven here. To bring this new reality, this new line in that graphic down here. To come against storms. To come against death and mourning and crying and pain. And, and you, you think of some of these things that, are, that cause this. I think of poverty, disease, destruction of relationships, exploitations of humans through crimes like human trafficking. I think of war. I think of addiction. I think of isolation. All those things lead to, to, to mourning, to crying, to pain, to death. And yet we've been given a task. Check our lens and calm some storms. And, and it's going to look a little wild. It's going to require we get a little crazy, a little outlandish. But there are some crazy, wild, outlandish people in here. And I know that because I know people, I know a family at Overlake, that they actually, they'll regularly take in troubled teens, homeless teens. They got no place to sleep other than outside. And they'll say, hey, you can bunk at our house. You, we'll feed you. We'll take care of you. Yeah, we'll take you to Ross. I mean... There's a family that, that sees a storm happening and decides, I'm going to calm that. I think of an, another uh, a man in Overlake, a man I look up to greatly. And he, he decided, you know what, I'm going I'm to quit this high-paying corporate position and start a mission organization to reach exactly what we talked about. Those that don't know what the good news is. And he's done it. He's done it. I, I think of another couple uh, uh, in, in Overlake. Had dinner with them just a couple weekends ago with my wife. We actually did it. We actually did dinner. We did dinner. We made it happen. And they'll just spend hours in just fervent prayer. Fervent's kind of a weird word for just like being really intentional, really intense, really focused. And they're, they're just praying over all of us. They're praying over the Overlake family. They're saying, man, God, would you just help, help break anything that would get in the way between uh, us and your kingdom and your lens. And they'll spend hours praying and longing for that. And then I think of another example, and it's actually uh, some guests, uh, some, some friends, uh, a couple uh, of Overlake that, uh, well, they're not Overlakers. They're actually from North Carolina. We're learning a lot from them. And, uh, and they're in town. They're in here this morning. And they're living this out in a way that totally seems like Acts 2. If you look at the early church, they're living it out here in the 21st century America. That is bold. That is bold. It says the apostles, they would meet together daily for teaching, for breaking of bread, for prayer, and that they shared everything so no one had any need. And they're doing that. They actually do that. They actually meet together. They pray. They share meals together. They'll share homes, cars, gardening tools. I mean, whatever. 
They want to make sure no one has need. They, they open up their homes and they, they truly express Christian hospitality. Need a place to sleep? Hey, our door's open. We got a room. We got a bed for you. And they're living it out. They're living out this new reality, this kingdom reality. And, and it's putting, it's really, it's giving, it's like bearing witness to the fact that there is a new way to live. Pastor Josh says this. I love this phrase. He says, we should so long for heaven, for this age to come, that it should translate into a different way of living now. This longing, this deep yearning for the kingdom of God, for a kingdom filled with hope, with love, with, with inclusion for all, all belong, all, all are welcome, with, with, with peace, with liberty, with life, abundant life. Our longing for that should be lived out. Our lives should only make sense if the gospel is true. Our lives should only make sense if the gospel is true. And that is really the charge here this morning. To go out and to calm some storms. To say, God, I need to check my lens. I'm going to ask you to help me to see differently. But then also help me to enter into to a storm. And it, it could be simple. It could be just giving a, someone an encouraging word, a kind word. It could be just smiling at someone. It could be actually just noticing that the homeless person on the side of the road who's always holding the sign and actually just being kind to them, given the time of day. It, it could be small. It could be in your workplace. could be in your home. could be in your marriage. could be in your family. It, it doesn't matter where it is. Bring the kingdom of God to wherever there's death, mourning, crying, or pain. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to live out. And in Acts 2, I love these guys. They're nuts. These early Christians... They, they so had this, this lens, they so had this, this new kingdom perspective, this new reality. They were so living at this, this top line, the age to come, in the now, in the present, that it cost them their lives at times. And it still didn't stop them. Even when they were thrown to the, the lions, it still didn't stop them. It only like made things, it like stoked the flame almost. And so... What we do over Lake, what we're called to do, is to leave here this morning, check in our lens, calm in some storms. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for, for stories like this. Stories of your son, the storm calmer, who saved lives not just on that day on that water, but is, is saving lives all over the world by what he did. And so I thank you for that. And I ask for, for a courage. I ask for um, just a clarity of, of, of a perspective to live our lives with. And then this courage to live it out. Would you help us translate this longing that we have for your kingdom into a living? A living that may look different. It may look wild. It may look crazy. It may look outlandish. But, but help us... Help us in this and, and, and bring others along the path with us on this journey that, that we wouldn't be alone. And I just pray that you really would help each of us see a storm this week that we can calm. In your name, amen.